Uh, we're so grateful to have you here today. We're having a great time celebrating as we kick off the Christmas season. I mean, this is an exciting time of the year, isn't it? It's really fun. It's romantic. It's nostalgic as you think back on your upbringing. Uh, it's kind of fantastic in every way. Um, but real life doesn't always look the way it does in the commercials and in the movies, does it? What I hope for every Christmas is to gather around the fire, family be wearing matching pajamas, <laughs> drinking Christmas coffee and hot chocolate, reading about little baby Jesus. Real life doesn't always look like that. Sometimes the house is on fire. Baby's diaper just exploded. You're like, what is this? This is not what I hoped for. We're kicking off a series today that we're going to be in for the next three weeks called It's Christmas But. It's Christmas But. Today's message, oh, okay. Uh, well, I'm kind of trying to preach right now, but is it okay if I open this real quick? I don't want to be, I don't want to be rude, really, so thank you. Thank you. You shouldn't have. I mean, you should have. I dropped a lot of hints, but oh, oh. Okay, it's, uh, it's fruitcake. Wow. That's exactly what I was hoping for. And it's, yeah, that's awesome. Th thank you. Thank you. That is exactly what I wanted. For I'm just going to get back to my message, though, real quick. Um, the title of this message is, It's Christmas, But I'm Disappointed. It's Christmas, But I'm Disappointed. Um, Maybe feels appropriate. That could be divine providence. The definition of disappointed is to be unhappy or discouraged because your hopes or expectations about something or someone were not satisfied. I'm just going to get this fruitcake out of here real quick. Um, <laughs> just saving that for later. One of my life lessons I've learned is you cannot drop hints when it comes to Christmas gifts. You can't just drop hints and hope that your significant other will figure out what it is that you want. I've learned that's not the way to do it. You tell them exactly what you want, what size you want, what color you want. And now I send a link to exactly where you can buy the exact thing that I want. Such a better way to do it. I am so in the Christmas spirit this year, aren't you guys? Anybody else? Like, I'll find myself singing Christmas songs around the house right now. But like a lot of you, I only know about 40% of the words. You know, all the songs we know, that we know the melodies. I'm like, hang up the mistletoe. It's Christmas. That's how it goes, pretty much. Uh, I sing a lot in my house. Amy will tell you I'm always making up songs. Um, about her cooking. I'll be like, that smells good. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, sing about our love life. I'll be like, baby, lock the doors and turn the lights down low. And then sometimes I'll come at her with little boys to men, you know, I'll make love to you. And I want you to know we have a healthy marriage in our relationship. A healthy, you can be a Christian and have a healthy marriage, if you know what I'm saying. Which I like to point that out because I've shared with our church in the past that me and my wife have experienced infertility uh, as a married couple for several years. So we know what it's like to be disappointed and not have things work out. But it's not for a lack of trying. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I understand disappointment. Disappointment is a real thing that we all experience. I want to read to you from Proverbs 13, verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred, that means when you hope for something and it just doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Another translation says this, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick, 
but a sudden good break can turn life around. So the thing about Christmas is that it heightens our expectations for life. We want our life to look like the magical lives that we see in movies and commercials that kind of Hollywood and the media tells us we should want, but it doesn't always look that way. And so because our expectations are heightened, our disappointment can also be heightened. We can feel disappointed. And I, I think sometimes we don't realize that emotions we feel like sadness, sometimes anger, are actually undiagnosed symptoms of disappointment. Not realize, I'm disappointed. Maybe you're disappointed because some of your dreams have not yet been fulfilled in your life. Maybe some of the things you've longed for haven't happened. Maybe you thought you would get promoted by now, and it hasn't happened. Maybe you thought you'd find a husband by now, and he hasn't come along. Maybe you wanted a wife. I don't know. Maybe you thought that you'd have kids by now or more kids, and that hasn't happened. Um, maybe you wanted to be retired by now, and it's not happening. So you're disappointed. Sometimes we're disappointed because of loss. When someone or something that we love is lost, it can be the death of a dream. Maybe you lost a business, a business that failed, and a dream died when that business died. Maybe a relationship ended with someone who you thought was going to be the one. Maybe you lost a family member, either old or young. Maybe a, a grandparent, a parent, or, or young, a child, maybe even a miscarriage. And so at Christmas time, you're thinking about those people, missing those people, and disappointed you didn't have more time together. Maybe you're disappointed with people in your family. Sometimes our family can disappoint us, don't they? I mean, we, we love them, but... They don't always live up to our hopes and expectations. Maybe you thought the person that you married would turn out one way, and they don't look that way. They haven't, they haven't become the person you hoped they would be. Um, maybe you have really grown this year in your relationship with Jesus Christ, but your spouse has been stuck spiritually, so you're disappointed. Maybe you have a prodigal child who's wandered away from God, um, and you're disappointed how that's turned out. And then let's be honest, sometimes we're disappointed in ourselves. It's ourselves we can be disappointed in, and we can think about those things at the end of the year, especially around Christmas. Maybe you say, I haven't been the kind of parent that I wanted to be. I haven't been the spouse who I wanted to be. Maybe you say, I I've been struggling with the same addictions. I thought I would overcome them by now, but I keep going back to those same things. I'm embarrassed. I'm disappointed in myself. Maybe in yourself, you're disappointed. Like you said, I was going to start a business. I was going to go back to school. I was going to move out of my mom's house. Like, I'm disappointed. And so is my mom. <laughs> disappointment is a real emotion. I, I want to say this way. Disappointment happens in the gap between our reality and our dreams. When our reality looks one way and our dreams look so much greater and we're way down here, we're stuck down here, that gap causes us to be disappointed. I want you to understand today, it's okay for a Christian to feel disappointed. It's just a real emotion that we encounter in life. If you are going through life trying to avoid being disappointed, you'd have to stop yourself from ever hoping for the best. And we shouldn't do that. We should hope for the best. We should believe for the best. And sometimes when you live life believing for the best, we'll end up disappointed. So I want you to know that that's a real emotion. It's okay that you feel disappointed. God is not disappointed in you for feeling disappointed. But can I just challenge you and say that sometimes our disappointment is because we impose our dreams onto God. And we act like our dreams should be God's plan. Like, I've been guilty of this. 
right? Growing up as a young guy, all right, Lord, I'm praying. Um, here's my plan. I'm going to get into the college that I want, and I'll get a scholarship, and I'll make the football team as a walk-on, and we'll win the national championship, obviously, and then I'll graduate on time when I'm 22 years old and get a really high-paying, awesome job. And within six months, as I'm becoming financially stable, Lord, I'll meet the love of my life, and we'll move into our forever home and live happily ever after. Amen. I'm going to need you to get on that. And God says, hey, come here, buddy. Your name is not Aladdin, and my name is not Genie, and your wish is not my command, and your dreams are not as great as my plans. Your wishes are not as great as my will. My ways are higher than your ways. And if you'll do this, if you'll trust me and believe that I'm good and believe that I have a plan for your life to prosper you and not to harm you, a plan to give you a hope and a future, you'll find that my ways are greater than your ways. We got to learn. We got to learn to desire God's will above our own wishes. There's an Old Testament couple I want to talk about first. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, we call him Father Abraham, but for much of his life, he was childless. He wasn't a father. Him and his wife were longing to have children, but as they grew old, it never happened. You can imagine other couples in their community having children, but they didn't have children. So holidays come and everyone's gathered with family and it's just them. But then when Abraham was 75 years old, God came to him in Genesis 12 and said, I'm going to make you the father of nations and all of the world will be blessed through you. And Abraham's like, I'm an old guy with no kids. Did you see my situation here, Lord? But God made him this promise. You need to know God has made a promise to all of us, a promise of hope. But even with Abraham, right, the promise did not result in immediate gratification. And we needed to know that because we're not always the most patient people, are we? Like when God makes me a promise, I want it to be fulfilled today. And I'll find myself praying a day later, like, God, where are you? You haven't come through for me yet. I know this whole day is like a thousand years to the Lord kind of thing. I don't want to be on that end of the equation. So here God comes back to Abraham in Genesis 18 and 25 years have passed from when he originally made this promise. Now, I don't know about you. If 25 years had passed from the promise, I would have started to wonder if God forgot what he had said. Maybe he forgot about me. Maybe I did something to offend him. Genesis 18 verse 1 says this. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. So many people would have just seen three men approaching, but the Bible says it was the Lord. And theologians believe it was an appearance of God along with two angels. And Abraham recognized that the Lord was approaching. Regular people would have just seen it was, it was three guys, but Abraham saw it was God. And, and it makes me want to highlight to you that things are not always what they look like. Sometimes in life you look around at your situation and you can be disappointed, but I want you to know it's not always what it seems. And I think through the example of Abraham, we should learn if you can learn to see God in your situation, great things will happen in your life. Abraham rushes out to these three guys, bows down before the Lord, and worships. And that was a sign that he recognized them as 
the lore. It was the lore that had come to him. In that culture, you wouldn't go out to someone who was coming to you. You would wait for them to approach your home and then see who they were. He saw it was God, went and bowed down before him like you would do to royalty. And if we'll learn to honor God, if we'll learn to recognize his sovereignty and greatness, even in the middle of our disappointing circumstances, you'll experience blessing in your life the way that Abraham has. I want you to see this. Verse 9, it says, Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord calls her out. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. I'm just saying this, like if God makes a promise, don't laugh in your tent, okay? He's God. He can hear you laughing. You're in there like, oh, please. And he's like, why are you questioning me right now? Like, he heard. He heard. He shows up. He makes this God-sized promise to this couple. Sarah, at this point in her life, is 89 years old. God says, next year, a baby is coming your way. Now, I'm a pastor. I'm not a doctor. But all my research has confirmed 90-year-old women do not have babies. (laughs) It just doesn't happen, does it? God promises next year you're going to have a baby. This is something that God could do, which we couldn't do. And Sarah, she is heart sick. And you can see that she's heart sick, the way that Proverbs describes when you are disappointed and disappointed and disappointed. You become heart sick and bitter. She was bitter and heart sick, you can tell, because she laughs to herself. You know, you'd say maybe she should have been praising God and worshiping, but she was bitter and her heart was not in a healthy state. So she laughs. Okay please. I'm a little too old for that, God. In case you missed the memo, I have aged quite a bit and there's no longer any hope for me. I want you to understand today that you can't trust God's promise without also trusting his process. He has made a promise of hope, but he has a process. There is a process which we don't always recognize and understand. It's a process we might not always want to go through, but it's God's process. God made this first promise of hope to her, uh, and it was 25 years ago when she was 65. Why did he wait so long? She was already 65. So I've been asking myself, why did you wait so long, God? Like 25 more years, that seems kind of cruel, if I'm being honest. But as I thought about it, I think, what if God allowed her to go even further beyond childbearing years. Now, we wouldn't think of a 65-year-old having children, but as I've done some research, I found that there are records of very old women having kids. And especially today with medical science, there's records of women who are around that age of 65 having children. I know that seems crazy. I don't know a lot of 65-year-old women that want to go through childbirth again. But I wonder if God didn't wait 25 more years until her situation was completely hopeless to highlight the fact that without God's help, our situation is completely hopeless. I wonder if he waited until she would need a miracle so that when that promise was made good, we would know a God is working among us. He is doing great things that we could have never done on our own. I think God might have done this for a reason. And and this process, which would have been difficult and confusing, was his way of bringing about 
his promise. So the Lord made this promise to Abraham and Sarah, you'll be the father of nations. And so Sarah was the mother of this promise. Through her miracle baby, Isaac, came a line of descendants, which went all the way down to our deliverer, Jesus Christ. But you need to know that her family line was kind of messy and included liars, murderers, adulterers, prostitutes, which tells me if your life is messy, that's all right. You might be still living out God's process. God, he brings things about according to his timing, his plan, and he chooses to use broken, messed up people, and which means that there's hope for all of us. All of us here at Generation Church, there's still hope for us. Don't be shocked if your life looks messy at times. It might mean that God is actually at work. So this family line continues from Abraham and Sarah through Isaac all the way down to Joseph, who married Mary, our favorite nativity scene figures. They were real people, though. He married Mary, but you got to realize before they got married, things didn't really go the way that Joseph had planned. And so I want to read you from Matthew 1, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Uh, translation, before they came together, she became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That's a, a miracle, and that's kind of crazy. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus, the Messiah, was coming through Mary. Now you got to realize, the people of Israel, God's people, they had gone through a lot up to this point. It had been difficult for them. They were living oppressed by the Romans who had invaded, conquered them, and were ruling over them. We can't really relate to this because in America, we've always been free from oppression um, ever since we told the British like what to go do with their taxes. We've been safe and sound. The people of Israel, they had been oppressed. Before that, they were living in sla uh, slavery, in exile to the Babylonians. Um, so they've been longing for a Messiah to come and save them, to rescue them from captivity, to rescue them from oppression. And now it is finally happening. But a long time had passed up until this point, hundreds of years. So think about that. Generations of Jewish people would tell their children, the Messiah is coming. Don't lose hope. Pray to God. Ask him to send the Messiah. And those kids would grow up and tell their kids, the Messiah is coming. Hey, don't lose hope. Pray and ask God. Have faith in God. And then those kids would grow up. Hey, the Messiah's coming. Don't lose hope. It's not over yet. God has made a promise to bring about a Messiah. And this goes on and on and on. How many of you think they might have been disappointed at times? They might have been disappointed wondering, God, where are you? Do you ever wonder, God, where are you? Where are you in my situation today? How are you letting me go through this? This wasn't part of my life plan. I thought we were on the same page. God, I'm disappointed in my reality that it hasn't lived up to my dreams. So what are you doing? I think about Jesus finally coming and, and this amazing miracle was gonna happen in Mary 
But have you ever considered that maybe Mary was disappointed with the process of getting pregnant with Jesus? I mean, she was a real girl, right? I don't know a lot of teenage virgin girls who dream of becoming pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Usually they're like, I want a wedding, I want a dress, I want a party. Now she's pregnant, hasn't had a wedding. Her fiance thinks that she cheated on him. All the women in town are judging her as she grows her baby bump. She's pregnant in morning sickness, all that. Didn't even get to enjoy the fun part of getting pregnant. And I know she's here and like, it's the Messiah. But for her, I'm sure there were elements of that that were difficult to wrap her mind around. This promise of a redeemer was made through a miraculous conception that Sarah experienced, and it was delivered through a miraculous conception that Mary experienced. So Sarah was the mother of the promise. Mary would be the mother of the promise fulfilled. Sarah, this miracle that happened in her when she was so old and beyond hope, I think it highlights that we are beyond hope to save ourselves from the sin in our life apart from God's help. Mary, the fact that she became pregnant in such an unexpected way, it just highlights the fact that God chose to save sinful mankind in such an unexpected way. Who would have ever expected God to save us by sending his only son to die in our place on a cross? That doesn't make any sense. You tell me it doesn't make sense for a virgin to, get, to conceive a child. It doesn't make sense for God to die in our place, does it? But God has chosen to do things in a way that don't make sense. We have to trust his process. It's his process. He's bringing about his promise according to his timeline and his plan. And then when we think about Jesus dying on the cross, it was messy. It was messy. Why would he do that? He died. He bled for us. The process can be messy. So don't be shocked if your life gets messy at times. Sometimes the process is messy. We can't believe the promise without trusting God in the process. But I think as we grow in faith, we start to see things different, don't we? As we grow in faith and become more experienced with God's faithfulness, what we used to call disappointing, we start to recognize as just a plot twist. The thing in your life, the giant disappointment, which has been crushing your soul, I think God sees it as a plot twist. Who doesn't love a good plot twist in a television show or a movie? You're watching Bruce Willis and you found out he's dead. That's why he sees dead people. You're like, oh my God, he's dead. It's a plot twist. It builds tension. And then there's breakthrough, which makes a story more satisfying. Well, I think we go through a lot of plot twists in our life. And what if we start to recognize that? And it's oftentimes difficult to see that because when we're in the scene, in the scene with the characters around us and the scenery around us, sometimes we get overwhelmed. And we're like, this is my reality. It's disappointing. This isn't what I hoped for. It's difficult. I'm struggling. My scene is overwhelming me. But we've got to back up. We've got to remove ourselves from our scene so that we can see all of God's story. His story overlaps our entire existence. He knows the beginning, the middle, and the end. And God knows that your hopeless situation is not hopeless. We need to get God's perspective. Can I challenge you? What if you could climb up higher to God's perspective and look down on your life and understand that there is victory at the end of your struggle? Your disappointment will not end in disappointment. So Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So you need to know this, that this passage, this promise, applies to people who love God. 
So I can't tell someone who does not love God, hey, God's going to work it all out for good in your life. It's not true. But for people who love God, who are called by him, people who trust Jesus to save them, people who love him, we do have the promise that God will work all things together for our good. This promise is true for you. So have you wondered uh, about God's timing? Have you been disappointed in how things have played out in your life? Can I just submit to you that maybe this has been a plot twist in God's plan to do something good in your life? Maybe God let that guy leave you so that he could open you up to be available for a real man of God. Maybe God let your first business fail so that you would be ready for an even greater opportunity. Maybe God has let you be sick so that you could give him glory even in your suffering and then experience his healing power in your life. Maybe God has let me be broken so he could rebuild me into something better. Have you considered this? That God could be working things together for your good? Maybe you'd say, but Ryan, does God cause the tragedy in my life? Is he the one who causes that tragedy? I would say, no, he is not the one who causes all the tragedy in our life, but he does work all the tragedy together for good. He does it according to his plan in his timing, and there's a process even to that. So do you trust him in the process? Do you trust his goodness even when your situation isn't good? So maybe you'd say, it's Christmas, but I'm disappointed. I know it's Christmas. It's supposed to be so festive and magical, but my life is disappointing. And I want to remind you, about what God did and how he did it. When God made the promise to give a son to Sarah, when he made the promise that through her son would come a line of descendants that would lead to us finally receiving a savior, he flipped the natural order of things. You've got to see this. Sarah, she became very old. She was 90 years old. And then she had a baby. That's not natural. It's supernatural. Mary, she became pregnant, but she was a virgin. She hadn't even been with a man. That's definitely not natural. It's supernatural. So if you're saying it's Christmas, but I'm disappointed, can I ask, what if we flipped our thinking and traded our natural thinking for supernatural thinking and said, I'm disappointed, but it's Christmas. I'm disappointed, but it's Christmas. And Christmas isn't about God giving us exactly what we want when we want it. It's about him giving us what we need at exactly the right moment. Flip your thinking. Flip the natural order. Think about how when God sent his son Jesus into the world, he flipped the natural order. Everyone was expecting Jesus to come as a conquering king, to rule over the, the, the enemy who had oppressed his people. But instead, he came as a humble servant, and he laid his life down and died. Then later we know he is coming back as a conquering king, but he's flipped the order. Yet even when he died on the cross and things looked terrible, his disciples, they were disappointed. You know, they believed this is the Messiah. He's come to save us. Jesus, he, he meets all the criteria. He fulfills all the prophecy. The day has finally come, the day that we've been dreaming of. And then think about this. He gets killed on a cross and buried in a tomb. And they're walking around saying, man, I'm so disappointed. But that wasn't the end of the story. Sometimes as Christians, we get disappointed because we call the game a loss when it's only halftime. 
but it's not over till God says it's over. They're disappointed that Jesus is in the grave, but we know that Jesus was going to burst forward from the grave in violent hope and show us that there is a promise of hope, a promise that was made to Sarah, fulfilled in Mary, and sealed when Jesus rose again from the dead. So you can say, I'm disappointed, but listen, don't be discouraged. You can be disappointed, but you will not be destroyed. There is hope for you. God has made a promise of hope, but let's trust him in the process. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we thank you for your word, which brings hope to us, which tells us that because of Jesus, we have hope. And Lord, I I just pray for anyone who might be in our church today who's disappointed with life. And I pray that you'll encourage their spirit right now and remind them that you've already made a promise to them to give them hope and a future and that you're going to work everything together for good that they're experiencing. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for helping us to trust you in the process as we wait for your promise to come true in our lives. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's here today who does not yet have a relationship with you, who wants to have that relationship. And I just want to talk to you for a moment with our heads bowed. If you're here and you say, I have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and today I want to give my life to him. You need to know that this is an opportunity which God has put together for you so that you could receive the greatest gift that has ever been given. God gave his son Jesus to die in your place so that you could be forgiven for you your sins and receive the gift of eternal life. That is an incredible gift. And it's crazy that we would say, no, I don't want to accept that gift. Thinking that our way is better than God's gift. But listen, if you'll receive Jesus and recognize that he died for you on the cross and that he rose again, the Bible says you will be saved. You will be adopted into God's family. You will have the promise of eternal life and hope is yours. So if you're ready to accept him today, I want to lead you in a prayer. Just agree with me in your hearts. This is just a way of expressing what is in your heart right now. Just say, God, I need you. I know that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross in my place and I believe that he rose again so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me when I didn't deserve it. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Help me to follow you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen.